This is WSLR LPFM 96.5 in Sarasota. Time now for the Big Band Files with Doug Miles. Let's begin. The Flight of the Foo Birds. I don't know what a Foo Bird is, but uh, they swing pretty good, don't they? That's the uh, John Burnett Swing Orchestra there to start our program today. The Big Band Files with Doug Miles. Glad you are with us on this uh, beautiful Sunday uh, late morning into the early afternoon. Uh, with you today with uh, the best in uh, big bands, jazz, and uh, got some great guests coming up on today's show. And joining me in studio, a good friend of ours. Been with us uh, several times before. Great sportscaster who uh, makes his home down here part of the year. Uh, Don Henderson back with us today. How are you, Don? Well, Doug, always a pleasure. And uh, hopefully we're going to have Tim McCarver join us for a few minutes and uh, chat a little bit about uh, an album that he put together a few years ago. And chat a little bit about that and maybe get a little baseball in at the same time. And I know you've got... Uh, Mr. Eberly's daughter coming in a little bit later on. She's going to be here in the studio to chat with you, and uh, so we've got a big show head up. We're kind of doing what uh, Jonathan Schwartz does. Uh, a couple of weeks early, he usually does a salute to baseball on Super Bowl Sunday. We'll do ours on uh, Championship Sunday. Well, that's exactly what he does. <laughs> Every uh, For those folks that are not aware of XM listeners or... Of course, in our case, the old WNEW listeners right. in New York City, as we used to listen to him for years and years and years, uh, Arthur Schwartz's son, Jonathan Schwartz, and uh, every Super Bowl uh, Sunday, uh, he plays the best of baseball, and uh, he's done it for a great number of years, and it's a lot of fun to listen to. So we'll uh, talk to Tim McCarver, who's uh, put out the CD of uh, Standards from the American Popular Songbook. So we'll play a couple of tunes from that. Of course, Tim makes his home uh, down in our area as well. So yeah, right Kind here. of the off-season for Tim right now, for, yeah. after a very busy uh, a year last year, the, the World Series going into November. Yeah, he's uh, right over there in Siesta, and uh, of course goes back and forth to do a show at uh, Madison, uh, um, on MSG, Madison Square Garden, uh, 
Um, we have a chance to see it down here. At a talk uh, show he does. Very good yeah, show. yeah, he does an interview show and uh, has a lot of fun with that. I know he's had some great, great guests on. And hopefully we get him on the phone in the next couple of minutes and uh, we'll play a little music first and I'll try to catch him on the phone and then we'll go from there. Very good. Let's go uh, hit another big band tune right now. And uh, this is uh, the great Count Basie with the Swingin' Blues.
The great Benny Goodman, the king of swing himself, right there with uh, Don't Be That Way here at WSLR LPFM 96.5 in Sarasota and WSLR.org. And uh, do you know the story behind uh, the title of that song? I do not, Doug, so give it to me. I don't know if it's true, but it was in the movie that uh, Steve Allen did. Apparently, uh, every time Benny Goodman tried something uh, a little different with music, he kind of was looking for different uh, sounds, people would say, Don't Be That Way, Benny. And he's, once he wrote that chart, he said, I'm going to call that Don't Be That Way. How about that? The funny thing was that uh, Steve Allen did not make many movies. Very, very talented individual uh, for those folks that don't remember his late night shows and uh, his variety shows and so forth. He's very, very talented individual. A pretty good musician in his own right. And, uh, you know, you wouldn't have thought that he would have been the one that played the Benny Goodman story. But right. he, actually, it was a pretty good movie. Wasn't bad. Donna no. Reed played uh, played the wife. Huh? Exactly. And it tells the story of, uh, really, he didn't wasn't making it for a while. He tried different sounds and different groups. And well, all I of a sudden, I think when he w- went to the West Coast, he got on radio. Yeah, I think and, if you uh, look, that's how at, it worked. look at the majority of those uh, superstar big band people, they didn't make it for a long time. Yeah. Glenn Miller, for instance, uh, was very unsuccessful for a long period of time. And even uh, a one and a two and a three wasn't very... Lawrence <laughs> 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 Welk. <laughs> he was not... <laughs> everybody, no, he everybody, banged around the Midwest yeah, for years. Everybody remembers his tremendous success with television and so forth, but uh, for a great number of years, he was just really a polka guy in the Midwest yeah. who really didn't achieve much of anything, and then all of a sudden, boom, and uh, then he became a variety specialist and did a terrific job. Went on local TV in L.A. Exactly. Uh, some uh, peer, I think, uh, decided to televise it locally, and uh, eventually ABC picked it up and went uh, went uh, from there and was on, what, 25, 30 years on the network? And yeah. And syndicated and as, for a while after that. And as I say, that uh, you could look at Doris Day, you could look at a, a host of others that, uh, <coughs> excuse me, Equally, you know, beat around with either big, even Frank Sinatra for so many years. Oh, yeah. You know, it wasn't until he broke away and became his own guy in the 19, late 1930, 1939, 1940. Uh, but he was in all kinds of backwater <laughs> nightclubs. with James in Jersey. Yeah, exactly, exactly. The, the log cabin in Jersey. Yeah. He was famous there and then, of course, became a giant. But, uh, hey, they all go through the learning stages. It, uh, he was with the Pied Pipers for a while. Yes, and then went with Tommy Dorsey and uh, eventually got out of that. I think it was a contentious thing there, getting out of that contract with Tommy Dorsey. There's some uh, controversy of how that happened. but uh, how he had to buy out of it. <laughs> yeah. yeah well, Tommy thing, didn't want to let him out of it. No, he did not. And, uh, you know, the funny thing was that here are two of the greats right there, Tommy and Jimmy Dorsey, and they did nothing but fight. No, they didn't like each you other. Know, they hated each other. You know, they, they wound up hating each other. And uh, well, it's hard <laughs> to say hate each other. But basically, they just never got along. They were two... Great, great musicians with a great orchestra. Both had great orchestras, but they just couldn't work together. Didn't uh, Jackie Gleason bring them together? I know he was had them on his TV show in the 50s. Yeah. I think he sort of bridged the <coughs> gap a little bit between them, but well, they never got along. Another guy, when Jackie Gleason, when you talk about Jackie Gleason, uh, you know, he's known, noted so much for the Honeymooners and all the other shows that he did, the variety shows that he did with the dancers and so forth. But... Uh, he was a little bit like Danny Kaye. He loved to have those big orchestras and lead. Right. You know, Danny Kaye used to go around the country uh, standing in. Yeah, the symphonies. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. To direct the symphony. And he did a lot of it for charity. And Jackie Gleason used to like to do that, too. He liked to get the, the big orchestras together and, and uh, be the director. And yet, I don't really think he... He couldn't read a note of music. No, he could that. not read a note yeah. of music. But he knew how to... He, <laughs> and I don't think Danny Kaye could either. I don't, I don't think so either. No, yeah. I don't think either one could read uh, music at all. But they wound up with two of some of the greatest orchestras in the in not only the country in the world, and stood in as director for a, a little bit as a charity thing. And Gleason put out a lot of albums. Oh yeah, of Gleason that, was the kind of lush, romantic. Uh, Love that stuff. Music. He loved that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, very talented man. I think he's still underrated, despite how great people know him from the Honeymooners. He was underrated, I think, yeah, as, he, a, as he, a he, actor. Another very, very versatile guy. Well, look what he did uh, with Paul Newman. With uh, this is a feature. Uh, on uh, PBS this week on on Paul Newman uh, since he had passed away, right? And uh, who was better than when he played Fats in that movie? You know, he, he oh was, yeah, uh, the hustler. Yeah, the hustler. He was a, just a terrific actor as well. Didn't like to rehearse though. No, didn't like to rehearse. <laughs> well, Dean Martin was the same way. Dean yeah. Martin would never rehearse his show. Jackie Gleason did not like to rehearse his show. He wanted it to be uh, sort of extemporaneous. He knew the he knew the theme of what they were going to do, but he yeah. didn't want to have the dialogue to. 
to go through. He wanted to create the show as he went along. And you can kind of tell in some of the live episodes where maybe he's, he forgot a line, but he's ad-libbing to get back on track. Exactly. exactly. And it worked. It worked yeah. for him. For him, it worked very well. It made it tough, I think, on the other actors, maybe, but <laughs> it worked for him. Well, as I say, Dean Martin, uh, they, they never really knew what Dean was going to say on the no. Dean Martin show. He just uh, worked his way around until he got to what he wanted to do. And, and it worked for him. I don't think it would have been any better if he rehearsed. No. Oh, absolutely Probably not. worse. Yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah. Uh, well, we were talking uh, just the other day about, uh, when we uh, went out to lunch, about uh, Mike Francesa, the way he does his sports show now in New York on uh, on NBC TV after the football games. And it's uh, sort of a conversational sports show. It's not something that's written down. It's right. more of a radio show on TV. And uh, he's much more fluent in doing it that way than he is if he had a script and had to go back and forth. I mean, he has a, the main lead-ins to the to the uh, uh, football, you know, the the plays and so forth, but the show is not actually scripted, and I think it's much easier to, to watch and, and much view. Much better that way. I yeah, guess. I think so, too. Yeah. I think it's much better. Yeah. Don Henderson, our guest in studio today. Uh, let's get back to the music right now. Speaking of Harry James, here's one of his uh, hits from uh, the late 30s and early 40s. This is called Mr. 5 by 5 
Opus number one. Speaking of uh, Tommy Dorsey before, that was uh, Tommy's, one of his big hits right there. The uh, sentimental gentleman of swing, they called him. Great trombone player. Probably the best uh, trombone player of all time, don't you think? Yeah, I would say he'd have to fall in that category. Uh, Irby Green later on, uh, yep. you know, in the uh, 80s and 90s stepped up and uh, he was quite good. And J.J. Johnson, of course, was uh, an excellent trombonist as well. Um he um, had many, many a hit. In fact, was the musical director for the Playboy Club in New York City for a great number right, of right. years. And uh, so he was a, a very, very famous uh, trombone player as well. So, uh, But I think you might be right. Dorsey might be uh, right in there. They said he taught Frank Sinatra how to breathe, the way he played the trombone. Sinatra kind of emulated that, the yeah. way he sang. That was the. They sort of indicated that in the book, and they also indicated that in the... Uh, uh, movie when they made it that uh, that was really the genesis of how Sinatra became uh, the lyricist that he was and how he was able to have the breath control that he had. We have a, a phone call and we hope it's uh, Tim. We'll uh, answer that in a minute. But in the meantime, why don't we play one of his songs? Let's, right let's start off with a little Tim McCarver here. Go ahead. And there used to be a ballpark Where the field was warm and green And the people played their crazy game With a joy I'd never seen And the air was such a wonder From the hot dogs and the beer Yes, there used to be a ballpark right here and there used to be rock candy and a great big fourth of july with the fireworks exploding all across the summer sky and the people watched in wonder how they'd laugh and how they'd cheer and there used to be a ballpark right The children try to find it And they can't believe their eyes Cause the old team just isn't playing And the new team hardly tries And the sky has got so cloudy When it used to be so clear And the summer went so quickly this year Yes, there used to be a ballpark right here <laughs> Thank you. 
Charlie Barnett right there with uh, Cherokee here on the Big Band Files with Doug Miles. Don Henderson in studio with us. And uh, I guess we dropped out for a minute or two there, Don, but we're back up now, I understand. I think it was the Tim McCarver McCarver version of uh, there used to be a ballpark right right here and knocked us right off the air. Transmitter just couldn't uh, couldn't handle it. Didn't didn't expect to hear Tim McCarver sing. We're we're very apologetic. Tim not going to be able to join us, it appears, this morning. And uh, we'll catch up with him at a later date. But... It's interesting that he decided to put this album together and uh, sort of a lot of the Sinatra songs. And there used to be a ballpark right here, Joe Raposi, Joe right? Raposo, yeah. yeah. And uh, uh, very, very, uh, really took off. That was a song that, uh, that everybody seemed to enjoy. And Frank Sinatra loved to do it when he was doing a live performance. He loved to do that song. And uh, so Tim included it in his CD. and. Uh, but it knocked us right off the air. I think that Comcast heard Comcast heard Timmy sing that song, and they said we better we better just knock the signal right out. That's it. Wait till I see him. I'm going to tell him he knocked us off the air. Knocked the VSLR off the air. Two two minutes he knocked us off the air. <laughs> the CD is called Tim McCarver sings songs from the Great American Songbook and features uh, tunes like On a Clear Day, uh, You Can See Forever, This Will Be My Shining Hour. Uh, he does uh, One for My Baby. Uh, the old Johnny Mercer song, yeah, another great, uh, great saloon song, as yes, I like was. to call Absolutely. it. Uh, day by day, then I'll be tired of you. So some great old standards, uh, Tim did. Well, we'll catch up with Tim a little later on, and uh, yeah, ask maybe, him uh, how he chose the songs, and exactly, uh, we'll get a little of the background on the album, and. Uh, I'll tell you, he's very versatile. He loves to do different things. and uh, He's not just a baseball guy. I mean, he's got multiple interests. Exactly right. You know? he, he does. He has a lot of uh, very, very interesting things and stories to tell that aren't necessarily baseball stories. That, uh, that a very, you know, very unusual life and uh, uh, a lot of great success and a great guy to talk to. And hopefully we will reorchestrate and get him, get him to join us on one of these Sunday mornings. One of the few players that played in four different decades. Yeah. 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, right? Well, yeah, I think you should send uh, Steve Carlton half his pay for the last decade. Right. Because <laughs> <laughs> Carlton uh, said, I won't pitch to anybody else, right? Yeah, Steve, uh, you know, it's a, it was a funny thing. Uh, uh, and I've heard uh, Timmy address it many times because Bob Boone obviously was the major catcher with the Phillies for a long period of time. And Timmy uh, addressed it on a number of uh, different national broadcasts when he went into a city where there were two catchers. And, right. Uh, one was a, a designated catcher for a particular pitcher, so he's addressed it many, many times, and some of the problems that come up in that happening. And uh, when he's with us, hopefully we'll we'll have him you know, sort of reiterate some of those stories. Yeah, those were uh, interesting days where McCarver was kind of uh, Carlton's spokesman. Yeah, actually, uh, in fact, it was fun. Nineteen, jeez, uh, I'm trying to think. Now. Nineteen ninety-three World Series, I think it was, uh, at Veterans Stadium, and. Uh, Timmy was doing the national broadcast, and we had a long rain delay. And uh, Steve Carlton was in the ballpark that uh, that night. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, the first time that uh, that Steve actually came on the air with anybody was uh, Tim and I were doing a rain delay. He came over from the national broadcast, and we were doing a rain delay uh, of about a half hour on the local Philly station. Uh, and uh, what happened was uh, Steve walked in the booth. And he actually came on with us for about really? uh, yeah about ten or fifteen minutes, and we all chatted about doing the rain delay. And I think that was the first time. I may be incorrect, but I think that was the first time that Steve actually uh, uh, did an interview on the air. Uh, but he was of course retired at that time. Yeah. They said Carlton was a, a bright guy. I mean, he had multiple interests, but he just didn't like talking to the media. Oh, he's very bright. I, you know, yeah. he had. Well, a, it wasn't like he was shy or anything like that. No, but, he had yeah. a had yeah. a, an unfortunate situation. I never really knew, and, and maybe Tim will address it. I. I never knew about the actual basic facts of, uh, of why he decided that he just would not uh, do any interviews or talk to the press until after his career was over. I, mm. I never knew the actual fact of why he didn't. I heard different stories. It was Bill Conlon. It was something else. Uh, but I There's don't a really guy right there we could talk about for an hour. Oh, Bill yeah. Conlon. <laughs> Bill, Bill, <laughs> we'll save that for another show. <laughs> Bill, yeah, we'll save that for another show. Really, not, not too many people down here would know Bill. He was a great baseball writer and uh, uh, for the Philadelphia Daily News. And uh, so, consequently... Uh, uh, we'll get into that at another time, but you know we got a couple calls over there. Maybe Tim's on the line. 
And just want to remind you, Sarasota and Brayden residents will gather together on uh, Saturday, next Saturday, January 30th, from 9 a.m. to 4 to raise money for earthquake relief in Haiti. Uh, the public event will be at Fruitville Grove. That's at 7410 Fruitville Road in Sarasota. We'll feature some live music, food, and children's activities. No admission fee, but all will be encouraged to contribute funds to support the efforts of Hope for Haiti, which is a not-for-profit humanitarian aid organization based in Naples, Florida. For information, contact Todd or Bree Watson for more. Uh, on the next Saturday's event at 993-8521 or 993-6128. Let's get back to uh, the music right now. Here's Stan Kenton in the orchestra.
Stan Kenton and the orchestra right there with uh, The Way You Look Tonight here on the Big Band Files with Doug Miles and Don Henderson today. WSLR, LPFM 96.5 in Sarasota, WSLR.org, streamed online. And, uh, Don, we have a special guest. Well, we've got a few special guests. You've got Jan Everly coming in, and, of course, everybody knows Ray Everly and Bob Everly, and they're going to come in after 12 o'clock and chat a little bit with you about some of the old-time music. But right now we've got... Uh, uh, baseball aficionado who happened to become a vocalist at the same time, Timmy McCarver. Tim, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Don. I uh, really apologize for being late today, but I blame everything on my knee replacement. <laughs> well, I, had my, I had my knee replaced on December 8th, and anytime I forget things over the last two months, I tell everybody, and there is some truth to it, that, uh, that the knee has uh, superseded everything. Well, I'll <laughs> and tell in you. In some respects, it has. I'll tell you, Comcast, when they heard uh, there used to be a ballpark right here, they decided <laughs> to shut us down for about three minutes. <laughs> now, I don't, I, I don't know if that's indicative of your voice or what. I didn't expect to hear you be singing, Tim. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, uh, I figured I was not getting uh, any younger, and uh, I thought a couple of years ago, since I had Jerry Wexler, the famous producer, as my next-door neighbor, uh, I consulted with him, and uh, and he said, you know, your voice is okay if you want to do a, a DVD or a CD. I'd go ahead and do it because we're not getting any younger. So he was kind of my uh, my advisor on that. Jerry died a year and a half ago, right. and uh, and really without his help, I, I don't think I'd have gone through with it. He got the producer in Memphis. I went to Memphis. I did it at the at uh, Sun Records, uh, Sam Phillips' uh, famous uh, studio, and uh, and then about a year later we we did it at uh, we did the CD at Arden Studios, and I'm glad I did it. Well, you know, it's a funny thing, Tim, because we talked about getting into things you'd never thought of as a youngster, and of course, uh, you know, you, your whole life was dedicated to baseball for such a long period of time, but then. You got into the radio broadcasting career, then you got into the record producing career. So it, things sort of take a turn of uh, at their own. You don't really think you're going to do these things, but they just happen to fall in line. Well, I, 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 that's really uh, well said, Don. Uh, and you know, I, I've always been influenced by uh, by music. Growing up in, in Memphis, uh, of course, the blues. Elvis uh, came in in 1954. And I remember as a 13-year-old, I carried papers in the morning, and I came back and listened to Elvis's, Elvis Presley's uh, first uh, song on the air when Dewey Phillips, the disc jockey, played it. And it was Blue Moon of Kentucky, and the flip side was That's All Right, Mama. And, of course, That's All Right, Mama became the, the huge hit. But I, I was influenced uh, throughout the 50s and the 60s by not only the big band music, but uh, the blues, uh, uh, Jerry Lee Lewis, Carl Perkins, uh, that group. And Memphis was really the, the hub of the blues. Absolutely. And, of course, people that then, they just had, what, the great anniversary for Elvis Presley. and had Right, the, had 75th. The 75th anniversary, his 75th birthday. He's the same right. age same age I am. He's about three years younger than you. Uh-huh. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, they just had that. And, of course, we used to go down to, to Memphis, Beale Street, right behind the Peabody there. And sure. I used to love to see the ducks come marching out there. That's sort of a, a tradition down there. Ducks <laughs> in the lobby and the rendezvous for ribs down the alley. Boy, I'll tell you, that's a great little place. And, uh, Terrific. We had a lot of fun in Memphis. But Really, uh, so they Wexler really got you started on the idea of uh, of putting something like this together. He did, uh, and he encouraged me. He said, "Now don't give up on it." Uh, and and uh, a fellow by the name of Sid Selvage, who's a performer in his own right, he was the producer, and I had a partner who uh, split the the cost of it. And really, I didn't think this thing would ever be commercial. I didn't think it would sell. And we had three thousand copies in our closets. Both John Stokes, my partner. Uh, in Memphis and uh, and me here in Sarasota, and I didn't I didn't think it would sell. Well, this year our producer in baseball got a hold of it, and he said, you know, you ought to do something with that, and we can kind of help. So anyway, they started playing snippets of it uh, during the during the broadcast, and one uh, memorable Saturday, uh, we we had a perfect, and Joe Buck, of course, uh, my partner for 14 years, is. Uh, was just been great about everything and we had a perfect moment where we were talking about Willie Mays it was a giant a Yankees Phillies game and we were talking about Willie Mays and how he had played about a mile from uh, the new Yankee Stadium and uh, and we had a shot at Coogan's Bluff and right at that minute um, 
uh, the, the umpires had a disagreement with the ground crew. They had to come out and repair a bag at second base. Somebody had uprooted the bag at second base, I think Johnny Damon. Well, anyway, it was a perfect lead-in for Joe to talk about there used to be a ballpark. And we had some great shots of the old stadium, of Yankee Stadium. And it was a natural. And they, uh, they played about half the song. And, uh, and, uh, and then I told the story about, uh, about the composer, Joe Raposo, who wrote that song. He, he also wrote, uh, here's to the winners, here's to the losers. It's not that easy being green. Uh, the theme to Sesame Street. And I had the good fortune of meeting Joe Raposo at Shea Stadium about 20 years ago. Well, I'll tell you, and, and for those folks that are old enough to remember Ebbets Field and the polo grounds and uh, the great games that were played, uh, that's even a little before. <laughs> you, you got to the polo grounds, but I don't think you ever got to Ebbets Field. I did not make it to Ebbets Field, and that, of course, is what that song is all about. Correct. Mm-hmm. And uh, Joe Raposo wrote that song in a day. He told me the story. He said he had crocodile tears running down uh, his, his face. He played the song for Sinatra about seven or eight months later. And I guess what would what would happen with with Frank is that you'd go to his uh, his rather palatial uh, estate and uh, and play the song in his music room, and he would uh, judge it as to whether it was whether he wanted to sing it or not. And and Raposo played this song for Sinatra. And as Joe told me the story, he turned around after the song was over and he said, "Kid, you hit a home run." And I thought that was a great story, so I told it that uh, that uh, uh, Joe Raposo uh, ultimately died about uh, three three or four years after we met from uh, pancreatic cancer. Well, I tell you, you know, when you you follow the music industry and and you see some of the things that happen, and of course, when they can you know bring to light uh, Ebbets Field and the Polo Grounds and Willie Mays and Joe DiMaggio and this kind of thing, it it just uh, for those folks that are old enough to remember. Uh, it, it's just tremendous, tremendous uh, uh, thought to think ahead of to that. It's funny you should mention Willie Mays. I just received his uh, biography, uh, the authorized biography uh, by James Hirsch, uh, and and Roger Maris's biography. In a week, I get Maris's biography and Willie Mays' biography. Well, I tell you, when you read uh, Roger Maris's and you see how he got the beer distributorship in Georgia, you'll have a lot of fun when you got the Budweiser distributorship down there and how yeah, it was. Tell me about it. Because, I was, uh, we were teammates uh, those two years. Yeah, because... 1967 the, and 8. The fellow that had that beer distributorship for Budweiser did not want to give it up. And August, Augie Bush said, look, Our, I promised... Uh, uh, John Pepin. Yeah, he's, that's exactly right. John yeah. Pepin is now down here in St. Pete, and he wound up with the biggest beer distributorship down here, but he didn't want to leave Georgia. He wanted I to stay there. I, I, he didn't want to leave the eight counties around Gainesville. Absolutely right. It was. <laughs> it's one of the fantastic stories of Budweiser and how they got down here and how Pepin got over here. And uh, he was a great friend of, of a friend of mine, Tommy Ryan, who owned the beer distributorship, which just merged with Crown wow. uh, in New Jersey. But, uh, mm-hmm. no, it, uh, it's amazing how these things sort of go full circle. And you know, when you think about that, Don, that might have been the greatest one-year contract ever signed in the history of sports. You're, you're exactly right. You're ex- Roger got, Roger got $80,000 for playing in 1968, plus a Budweiser distributorship. And what are they worth? <laughs> well, you know, the funny thing was that uh, for years, I, uh, Tommy lived over on Treasure Island, as did Mr. Bush. And uh, so we would go over there uh, each year for he, he would have the, the uh, at the end of spring training, he always had that big party at his house. And right. uh, boy, what, what a lot. And the funny thing was the players, the players all tended bar and did I mean, not the current players, retired players. Uh, all worked for him, and they, you know, they they did things at his house, and <laughs> he, he was a he was really quite a character. He was one of the great uh, characters in the game, and and a very close friend of Harry Carey. And uh, in fact, he and Harry were uh, were gin rummy partners, uh, and and I remember him playing, and Harry saying, "What do you make a martini with?" And, <laughs> and it, it, everybody would yell out, "Gin." Well, as, as I remember, you were much more of a bridge player than a gin rummy player. I was. You got a great memory, Don. I'll tell you, that was, it was a lot of fun because you guys used to play uh, bridge almost all the time. And, we we had uh, in a, on a twenty-five man roster in the late seventies. We had two tables of bridge, which right. is unheard of. That's eight guys. Yeah. The other, uh, and, and so to have that many bridge players on one team is unprecedented. The other story before we get back to the music and and. Uh, 
we were chatting about it just before you came on the air and you've you've addressed it many many times during the course of the years on the national broadcast and also others uh when there were two catchers when you and bob boone were and you were really the designated catcher for for steve carlton right and uh, the problems that uh, that would arise with something like that yeah and 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 the lack of problems and that was really a credit to bob boone because had a had another catcher uh, surfaced and not had the attitude that Bob Boone uh, had, uh, then I don't think that would have worked. But it did work. We won three divisions in a row in '76, '7, and '8 uh, for the Phillies, and um, and uh, it it worked. I could still hit and run, but I couldn't throw. <laughs> and I told Lefty, I said, Lefty, if I'm gonna be your catcher, you better work on your move to first. And he did. He led the. In fact, he broke a, uh, the balk record in 1977. I was going to say he, he had 11 balks that year, and that at the time was a major league record. But once he established the move, they sort of let him go. It was uh, it was amazing the way uh, kind of like Pettit did. Yeah, yeah does. that's the thing. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, exactly right. A balk move. And lastly, but not leastly, uh, I think I may may be incorrect on this. You might be able to correct me, but. Uh, in that 1993 World Series, you were doing the World Series, and we had the rain delay. And I believe when Steve Carlton came into the booth with us, that was the first time that he had actually done a radio show, not only with you, but with anybody in, exactly in the booth. Right. Is that correct? That's exactly right. And it was just a matter that he happened to be at the ballpark and, and walked in, and he sort of joined us for about 15 minutes or uh, so. That's exactly right. It was a lot of fun. I remember that. I'll tell you. And you, uh, you've had some great interviews. Uh, lastly, but not least, Timmy, you've had some great interviews on Madison Square Garden. And and uh, I know that the, your book, uh, you came out, the last book was uh, was excellent with the number of great players and so forth that you, you diagrammed. But uh, give, me, give me a couple of your most interesting interviews on MSG. Um. Uh, Dikembe Mutombo hmm. w- was the fifth show that we did about nine years ago. And uh, he was one of the more fascinating men I've ever met. He, he speaks five languages. Uh, he's from Kinshasa in the, in the Congo. Uh, he delivered uh, a, lot of, a lot of pro athletes talk about charity work. Well, uh, Mutombo actually was involved in it. In fact, uh, when the boats would leave uh, in New York, uh, he would fly ahead to Kinshasa, and he and his brothers made sure that everything was distributed. He was building a 200-bed hospital in Kinshasa. I don't, I don't know whether that, that hospital was built, but knowing Matambo, I've got to believe that, uh, that it was. But he was, he was the most fascinating guy I've ever met. And, and also, speaking of basketball, uh, uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was also another fascinating guest who knew a world about baseball, and I had no idea he was, he was a baseball fan. I'll give you one sidebar on that. You know, they used to talk about, well, he was Lou Alcindor at that time, and mm-hmm. but you know, his father lived right across the street from Joe Patrick. Wow. That's where he grew up in the Bronx, New York. That's right. Right I across the street from Joe Patrick. Yeah, I didn't know that. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, it's it's uh, it's fascinating to have the opportunity to uh, to interview guys in other sports and to talk about things other than the X's and O's and what Absolutely. makes them tick. And how about George Will? He had, he wrote the pre- oh, the pre- preface to your book, and yeah. uh, he, he, he you wouldn't think of him as a great baseball fan, but he is a great baseball fan. He, he is a a very knowledgeable uh, baseball fan, and you talk about a man who is involved in the minutia of everything. Uh, he, he's the only guy that I've ever met who uses all the million-dollar words correctly. <laughs> <laughs> Tim, uh, Doug Miles, good to talk to you hey, again. We, we had you on a couple of years ago when, when the book came out, and, and I got a chance to get the CD down and uh, gave it to me the other day. And I, I like the selection of songs you picked, some great standards. We're going to play on a clear day in a few minutes, and uh, two for the road. You do one for my baby. Uh, what was the selection process for, for the songs? Random. <laughs> <laughs> well, it worked out. Yeah, it did. Uh, in 1961, and I won't bore you with these old stories, but I was 19 years old playing in Puerto Rico, and Dean Stone, you remember Dean Stone, left-handed pitcher Absolutely. for Washington, uh, pitched for the uh, Philadelphia A's for a while and for the Houston Astros. Didn't he almost throw a no-hitter one time? Yeah, he did, yeah. Yes. I think eight and a third or I something th- like I think that. you're right. That, I remember him well. Uh, I, anyway, we were roommates along with several other guys, and after games, we would. he was a huge Sinatra fan, 
and we would go on top of the uh, apartment building that we played in Santurce, Puerto Rico, and play Sinatra under the stars and drink beer and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> Uh, and uh, and that's where I really got my love of Sinatra, and I've always I always liked him prior to that because of my father, but then uh, hearing everything and hearing his timing and and everything, I became a lifelong Sinatra fan, and that hasn't changed. So uh, a lot of the a lot of the songs on the album were inspired by by just listening to Frank Sinatra through the years. And I know you do uh, or have done in the past. We're kind of doing a, our tribute to baseball today on an NFL uh, championship Sunday, not the Super Bowl, but uh, you've been on with uh, Jonathan Schwartz and Don and I, I have. from New York. I uh, used to listen to him all the time. So you've had this love of music for a long time, haven't you? I, I really have. I mean, Jonathan Schwartz, I've been on his Christmas show about ten times. Right. <laughs> and uh, John is, uh, is a huge Red Sox fan. As everybody knows, and uh, in fact, on, on uh, Super Super Bowl Sunday, he refuses to play anything related to football. That's right. <laughs> he, he, any any uh, any songs relating to any sports have to relate to baseball. <laughs> well, Timmy, we uh, asked you to join us for a few minutes. You joined us for a half an hour. I I really appreciate it. We'll have you hopefully again, and and because I love to go over the stories and things that have happened uh, down through the years. Uh, Baseball just a, such a great, great game, and it really is. Don. It, it, it's a game that it's, it's hard to define because, you know, how can you? I just can't think of a game that you don't have to change the rules to make it uh, uh, just better every single year. It's just uh, really unbelievable the way it's mapped out: the 90 feet, the 60 feet, six inches out, the whole thing. And the only thing that's changed is they move the walls and hit more home runs. Yeah, but <laughs> and, the, and the, you know, and the stories and the memories are the same too. Exactly. And uh, and uh, you know, it, it's a sport where where the, all the stories that are told are, are are really not apocryphal because the guys who are telling the stories were parts of them. Well, Timmy, I thank you so much for joining Doug and myself, and uh, I got to go play in a golf tournament at uh, twelve twenty, so I'm going to jump. I'm going to jump out a little early today, but Doug's going to carry on to one o'clock with the gate, great music, and we'll certainly uh, bang out a couple of more of your hits uh, on Beautiful. the album. Uh, thank you so much, Don. Doug, I enjoy. I love talking to you guys. Thank you, Tim. We'll Take do care. it again. Take care, Timmy. All right, guys. All right, Don. Bye. Great, Tim McCarver joining us. We'll uh, play another one of his songs from the CD. This is on a clear day. You can see forever. Here's Let Tim it McCarver. And look around you And you'll see who Just who you are On a clear day How it will astound you That the glow of your being Outshines every star You'll feel part of Every mountain, sea, and shore You can hear from far and near a world you've never heard before And on a clear day On that clear day You can see forever And ever And ever And ever Mountain, sea, and shore 